What have you learnt from listening to the coaching series? In this episode, Andrew and I go back through every episode we've done in the coaching series so far, all 15 of them, to work out what he's got from each episode. This could be the most condensed, valuable episode for you because it has the key learnings of every single one we've done so far. So strap in, tighten your seatbelt and get ready to make some notes as we explore what we've learnt on this journey building a business. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. I can't believe we have come so far. It's episode 15 of the coaching series with Andrew Alinda. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? What's going on? Can you believe we've recorded 15 episodes together? You know, they say time flies when you're having fun, Alan. And considering we've done this during a pandemic, time has truly blown. I've really, (laughs) really enjoyed this. I can't believe it's 15 episodes deep. And yeah, I've enjoyed every single one. And for those of you listening, can you believe it's been 15 episodes we've done together? And it's really interesting. I'd love to know, like, I'd love to have every single one of you listening to this on the show to tell us what you learned from these episodes, what you got out of it, because building a business is a journey. And every time you take a step forwards, (laughs) something goes wrong, something happens, something changes, you have to learn something to be able to get to the next step. And then you repeat it again and again and again. And we all learn different things. And I'm sure way back when people listened to the first episode we did together, which was 11 ways to monetize your platform, I'm sure people looked at that episode and it gave them ideas and they tested things. And some of it worked, some of it didn't, some of it went crazy. The purpose of this episode is to go through what Andrew has learnt on this journey that we've been on to this 15th episode. And the idea is this will pull out the key messages for you listening to this that you can directly apply to your business. And that's what we want is you to take these key learnings that we've had along the journey, apply them to your business to make money, have fun and do good. That's what we want. So that's the plan. Andrew, do you even remember episode one, 11 ways to monetize your platform? I do. I do. What's good about the longevity of our conversations, Alan, is that now that we're on episode 15, I think this morning, episode four just dropped. So it's <laughs> it's nice. I'm, I've got this like loop being closed as we're producing new episodes. The older episodes are now coming out. So it's so weird. One of the episodes with you, I think episode four just dropped this morning. I listened to it about three hours ago. So it's really fresh in my mind, actually. <laughs> I love that. Well, I can't get to, I can't wait to hear about that one. But let's start with number one, because that actually was your question when you came on the podcast was, how do I monetize my YouTube channel? I've done all this stuff. How do I make money? That was the question. And that's actually a question we get so many times is I built a blog, I built an Instagram page, I built this. How do I make money? So I'm going to go through a lot of things today. And I think some of these ideas will really resonate with a lot of the people listening to this podcast. When I first reached out to you, it very much felt like it came from a place of imposter syndrome. I had this thing, this YouTube channel, right? I knew I was delivering value because people were telling me I was delivering value. I had the YouTube analytics showing me that people were sat watching my videos, gaining value from watching those videos. And yet every voice in my head, you know, the conversations you tell yourself (laughs) about yourself, every voice in my head, it makes it sound like I'm crazy when I say it like that, but they all told me there was no way that you can make money off of doing this. There's no way. (laughs) There are other people that do it, but you, Andrew, you can't do it. And then I remember when we had that initial conversation, I'd had some idea about how maybe some people can make money off of it. But some of the ideas that you bounced around, the conversations that we had early on around all the different ways to make money 
on YouTube, through YouTube, off YouTube, with YouTube, all of those different ideas. Some of them I hadn't even thought of myself. You know what? It just goes to show the value of speaking to people who have done this sort of thing before. Now, Alan, you've never had a YouTube channel. Well, you have had a YouTube channel, but you've never had it be the core part of your business. No. And yet you had all of this information just ready to go all because of the background that you've had in building lots of other businesses, helping other people with YouTube channels, building your own YouTube channel yourself. And it just goes to show, speaking to other people that are doing the same things of you, have done the same things of you, is just extremely valuable. So I just wanted to start with that because I know there'll be lots of people listening to this with a business idea that they probably have invalidated with their own conversations they're having, you know, in their own time when they're alone. And I mean, There are people literally making money doing the stupidest things. So if you're passionate about enough about it, then you can monetize it and don't let that voice in your head win. It's amazing how many conversations I have with people about self-doubt, imposter syndrome, not believing it's possible. And the last episode I did with Jamie, the artist in the last coaching series was all about the imposter syndrome. That was what it is. And like, I had it when I first started, but those first few bits that came back to me and said, oh, you're making a difference, you're doing good, I quickly put that aside and dived in because I don't want to listen to that voice. That voice doesn't help me. That voice doesn't make me stronger. It doesn't help me make progress. It doesn't do anything for me. I just need to put that voice aside and keep going with what I know will work. And it definitely helps to have someone go, try this, try this, try this, because then you just follow the steps and you do it. And if it doesn't work, it's my fault. It's Alan's fault. It's okay. That definitely makes it easier. So if you're listening to this, just follow the steps and blame me if it doesn't work. I'm happy to take that blame on and have a go because it's amazing where you get to. Yeah. And just on YouTube channel size, our Rebel Business School channel has got 4,740 subscribers, Andrew. That's what we've currently got. How many have you got? Have you destroyed us already? Because you seem to be growing massively. No, no. It's it's actually just shy of that. I think 4,100-odd, something Whoa, like that. That's gone up hugely since we first spoke. It has, yeah, yeah. It's It's insane. And I think having this podcast to track it against that is absolutely crazy. <laughs> I refuse to believe that. But yeah, it is, it is mental. So the first week's learning was overcoming the imposter syndrome. Don't listen to the voice in the head that says, you no way you can do this. And just taking action on some of these ideas. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I will say is once you've got a business that you've now started working on, you've, you've got a precedent, you've got an understanding of what your core activities are, and you've got systems in place that allow you to continue to do that. The next thing is to now start trying new things. And that's what our initial conversation was heavily about, trying all these different things that could monetize the YouTube channel. I had a precedent. I had a framework for getting new videos out every week. That was never about to change. I think what would have been wrong for me to do in that scenario would be to start taking on all of these monetization activities that could then impact my cadence of getting those core videos out. Those core videos are my message. That's essentially my product. It would be like if you decided to start working on marketing for your tangible product, let's say you sold, I don't know, laptops, and you started working on all your Facebook ads and all your Instagram ads and forgot to source the actual laptops. That would be the equivalent. you know. So I have my systems in place for getting my product ready, my videos ready and out there. And now you and I started talking about the different ways we could monetize it. And and that was the real core bit, right? So I think the second thing I learned off the back of this was try new things. And some of those things will scare you. Some of those things will not (laughs) feel comfortable. If anyone has listened to the earlier episodes, you'll know that there was a lot of fear around some of the ideas that we're talking about. So sending outreach emails, the sort of ideas we're flying around that hadn't even crossed my mind yet. Like, I don't know, even like handling events or even speaking to brand people. These were, you know, the scary corporates that 
Do you know what's funny? I work for a corporate company <laughs> and I was scared to email people that essentially, you know, they're, they're people, they're people and don't be afraid to do those things. I think that's what we forget is it's people at the other side of this thing. We think of it as we're emailing this giant company and we're not. We're emailing Dave in the marketing team or Jane who does promotion or you know, whoever it is, Jessica that runs the social media team. That's who we're emailing. It's a human that has real goals, real passions, real life, may or may not love their job, <laughs> may or may not want to escape, may or may not have their own goals, but they're all humans. They're still humans. And most of them are quite nice humans. There's a few that aren't. They get about, but nearly all of them are lovely. Yeah, 100%. And I'll get into the actual... <laughs> I was waiting for you to say 100%. I've been waiting all episode for that to come out. I knew it was coming. There it is. The Andrewisms are back. 100%. Yeah, I do say that a lot. You probably heard that a lot over the last 15 episodes. But it's one of those where once you do realise that these are actual people, and for the most part, these are people that work with people on a daily basis. So if you're friendly, you know, if you allow your personality to come across, you're actually making their day job better. Think of all the people that you might have to work with in your job. Think of all the people that you probably don't like working with in your job. Now, imagine if you had other people chatting to you in your day job that actively lifted you up, you know, that actively made you happier just by speaking to them. And you could become one of those people for someone else. That's how I started to see my relationship with some of the people in these companies. And quite frankly, where I'm at now compared to where I was maybe about seven, eight months ago with my working relationships with some of these people is is hilarious. You know, I've got back and forth ongoing banter with some of the companies <laughs> that I'm, I'm working with. Compared that to seven months ago when I was scared of sending the odd email to somebody for fear that I might be intrusive, you know, I almost want to go back in time and slap Andrew around the face and be like, what's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? I've had that thought. Not about you, about me. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be nice than that to you, but to myself, I'd be like, I want to go back to 21-year-old Alan and go, what are you playing at? Douche, 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 come on. But you you have to go through this stuff. You have to learn it by doing it there's very other way. And I think that's why on this podcast, I push so much for the people listening this to do things. That's why I push so hard every episode to say, what are you going to do from this? What are you going to do to take your business forward? How can you apply this to your business? That's why I push so hard because the only way for you to truly learn what you need to learn to get to where you want to get to is by action, testing, learning, implementing, and then seeing what fails or not. That's the only way. Yep. Completely agree. So let's move on to episode two then, which is developing a YouTube channel. What was the, the lesson, the thought? And we're going to have more of this because the final episode of the coaching series will be the next one, which is episode 16. Matt and Rob are back for the final celebration and the wrap up of this whole series. We will be doing more on the technical stuff of YouTube next week. But what did you get from this episode, developing a YouTube channel, the difference that makes the difference in a content business? Yeah, so this was more around the actual video creation. And like you said, we're going to be chatting deeply about this with Matt and Rob. But in their initial conversations, they had a lot of feedback around the aesthetics of the channel, the sort of things that I had on the homepage. So things like the banner, things like the videos that people see when when you land on the channel. These were all the sort of things that I hadn't really given much thought of past the first day when I first set up that channel. And they made me rethink that. I changed some things, you know, I tried out some new things, some worked, some didn't. But what that showed me was that, number one, my channel was ripe for testing out new things. I changed up the banner that seemed to perform really well. It certainly allowed people to understand more around what it is that I do. I had a few trials and tests with that initial video on my landing page. That seemed to show me that what I was doing was right, but it actually allowed me to dig into the data of why that might have been performing well. We had a whole load of 
conversations around even things like the intros in the video, how I filmed the video, the sort of camera angles that I could use, how long I was spending, you know, on one particular shot in the videos, all these sort of things that when you look at them in isolation might not mean much, but when they all add together, they compound to quite some significant changes. I've seen those changes in in my views and the number of people that watched the full length of my videos, the number of people that click from one video to the next. These are all things that are really, really important to YouTube. And they tell YouTube, like, look, this person is adding value, push this to more people. When I think about all of those things, those are all things that I couldn't have done on day one. I, I couldn't, I physically couldn't have done all of this. If I tried to think about all of this on day one, I wouldn't have a channel. <laughs> I really wouldn't. So I yep. have a lot of learnings from all of the things I implemented in that video. But even all of the feedback that Rob and Matt gave me, I didn't implement all of it in the, the next video immediately after. So I think the biggest learning that would come from that is like the importance of incremental change. You know, don't feel overloaded if, even if you do go and speak to an expert, or I guess in our case, if you're a blogger, if you're a podcaster, if you're a YouTuber, you can literally go and listen and watch and read what the experts are doing. And sometimes it can be intimidating to see what somebody with a, you know, an older, more substantial podcast, blog, vlog is doing, and it can feel overwhelming. But don't feel you need to do it all in one go, because time is your friend longevity is your friend don't feel you need to do sometimes doing it all in one go can actually be a little bit overwhelming to your incumbent following right if i had one video that was one particular style and then the next day i switched up and it was completely different that could be quite jarring so it could actually be in your favor to stagger it all out so yeah the importance of incremental change i've seen that firsthand is really really beneficial I love that. I love the importance of incremental change. And what I would say to everyone listening is you cannot improve anything until you get version one done. So get version one out there, put it out there. Just don't do what I did in the early days and then just leave version one out there for the next 10 years. Like make sure you go back and review version one every now and again and change the heading, change the title, improve it gradually. And I think if you're listening to this now, the question I would ask you is, when was the last time you looked at your Facebook page? When was the last time you looked at the header to your Instagram, to your YouTube? When was the last time you reviewed your website? If it has been six months, go take a look, make sure it still represents you, tweak it, improve it, and start testing things. Get version one out there and then tweak as you go. So the importance of incremental improvement, which actually brings us on to episode three, which is marketing test and measure. Test and measure, which I think I've said so many times on the podcast, test something, put it out there and see what happens. What did you get out of this episode? Was it that incremental stuff? Was it something else for this one? Yeah. So we've already touched on the testing and the stuff. So I won't repeat myself, but on the marketing, this is when we started to get more into the sort of things that I think I was more scared to do. So the outreach, I think we spoke about quite a lot in, in episode three and reaching out to brands. And there was a lot of fear around that, specifically with reaching out to, you know, when people that I've spoken to before, these are complete strangers to me. And initially I had messaged a couple of brands. They hadn't replied. So my default was, you know, to go back into my shell and pretend like I hadn't done it and kind of get back on with my life naturally you didn't let that slide <laughs> so <laughs> i think off the back of our conversation i reached out to a fair few brands and two of them two, the two that actually have a, the best relationship right now are the ones that got back to me and those relationships have been extremely profitable with relatively little effort on my part all i've done has been nice been professional delivered stuff on time when I said I was going to deliver things on time. And I mean, essentially be myself around them. And that has been extremely valuable. I'm not sure how I could package that into a really easy to understand one-liner lesson, but off the back of the outreach and the marketing, the value that I've got off the back of it is these relationships with these companies that I absolutely love. So I've got the motivational aspect of it working in a way that I want to be working on a 
you know, my passion project that is actually bringing in money for me. And then we've got the value that it leads to when they share something that I've done, you know, that snowballs how many people can see the value that I'm putting out. It's not just me driving that with my marketing and outreach, it's leveraging another huge brand as well. So yeah, that's my two cents on that. The one thing I would say to everyone listening to this is nothing happens until you reach out. You have to send the email, you have to make the phone call, you have to do it. Nothing happens unless you do it. So stop listening, go send some emails, make a phone call, do stuff. Nothing happens unless you do it. And if you do do it and you take action, you follow through. My wife and I repeat this to ourselves regularly. There's actually quite a low bar for success in life. And the bar is be nice, be humble, show up on time, do what you say you will, deliver. And if you can't, ring someone and tell them and apologize. Like there's actually a reasonably low bar for success in life. You've just got to do it. And if we let all the internal negative thoughts and doubts get in our way and we don't do it, it stops us from making the progress we want to make. So just start. Email, ring, be nice, make friends. It is unbelievable what those things have as inner power to help you be successful. Unbelievable. So let's move on to episode four, which you saw the shining light of your own brand of Andrew Alinda clothing. And you were thinking of buying 5,000 t-shirts and having them shipped from China. And then we had a discussion. Tell us what you learned from that episode, Mr. Alinda. Yeah, so this is what happens when you take someone who has a tendency to stay within their shell and you, you snowball their success a little bit. And then they might go overboard the the other way. They might avalanche the other (laughs) way, right? So around this time, around the time episode five came out, I think I'd just got monetized on on YouTube. So I was starting to see a few pennies trickle through. So my mindset was, well, this is great. I'm monetized. I made $20, you know. (laughs) I'm the richest man in Babylon. And then... The idea came to me of, uh, you know, T-shirts. This is great. I could sell T-shirts. How much are T-shirts? Okay. I have to buy them in bulk. I could do that. I've got a big garage, you know. <laughs> and it's funny how quick I went from, you know, that imposter syndrome to, oh, now I'm going to turn my garage into a warehouse. I can't even visualize how I got from one step to the next, but it, it happened very quickly. <laughs> and I can imagine that that is a slippery slope because I was ready to hit purchase on a big order of some of these t-shirts. And what's interesting was, number one, off the back of the conversation with Matt and Rob, they first of all introduced me to a bunch of companies that um, I'm actually in conversations with at the moment still around you can sell the shirt and then they fulfilled the order. So you don't end up with a garage full of products. But before I get to that, the first lesson off the back of it was don't feel you have to actually create a whole bunch of inventory first before you can even sell something. I think that's the default. If you think of anybody starting up a shop or a clothing site or or most products in today's day and age, to be honest, it almost doesn't make sense for you to hold inventory. It really doesn't. There might be cases out there for it elsewhere, but my default of thinking, okay, I'm going to have to stock up my garage with a whole bunch of these t-shirts when I had zero proof of concept that this was even something (laughs) that would work or make me money is my business's equivalent of putting, you know, the house up as collateral against the business. That was my equivalent. It was a microcosm of it, but that was essentially what I was going to do. And it took somebody playing it back to me to go, wait a minute, there's a more efficient way of doing this. So that was the first lesson. Then the second lesson was, you know what, there are businesses out there that will fulfill upon customers actually handing you the money first. Reach out to these businesses, find out what they do, find out what their customer services are like, you know, do your due diligence, but there are businesses out that will support you in doing that. And then the third thing, which is the bit that I derived a lot of value from, was speak to your actual potential customers. 
because that's the one bit that I hadn't done at that point. And, you know, off the back of my conversation with you, Matt and Rob, I actually ended up doing a survey that I actually don't think I shared on this podcast, the results of which, but I'll, I'll share, make sure I share that today. Basically, your feedback was go out, speak to them. What, what do they want? And I actually did a survey on the number of people that would actually be willing to buy a shirt. Now, it's interesting with feedback like that, most people's feedback is usually, yeah, I'll buy the shirt. And then you put the shirt up for sale, as an example, and that's when you really need to understand whether people are going to do it. And on the survey, even on the survey, the number of people that would have actively paid for a five-quid shirt was significantly low. And I was about to stock my garage up with these shirts, (laughs) you know? So how can you get that understanding? You know, I think we're so quick to have this business idea that we're so certain is going to make loads of money but we haven't researched all of our options on the best way to do it we haven't spoken to someone who's done it before and we haven't spoken to the people that we expect to hand over their hard-earned money to be able to to fund said business so this just taught me you know aim twice before you pull the trigger you know you don't need to go and turn your garage into a warehouse think about smarter ways of getting to the same end point i love that what i would like you to repeat after me if you're in the car listening to this i want you to repeat these words if you're on your own if you've got kids in the back of your car maybe don't shout it like we will but just say it if you're in the park shout it i want you to repeat with me sell before you create sell before you create andrew sell before you create sell before you create you're not repeating it with me. I'm going to keep going until you come along and for the ride. Sell before you create. Sell before you create. Sell before you create. If you're in the car, repeat it now. Sell before you create. If you're in the park, sell before you create. I want to hear it as you chant it, walking past my Airbnb now. Sell before you create. That's the lesson. That's the key. That's so important. Sell before you create. Yeah, that episode saved me a load of pain. (laughs) I would not have wanted to explain that to my girlfriend when she came into the garage to a mountain of boxes. Well, you could just give her a T-shirt for each birthday, anniversary and Christmas for the next 50 years. Yeah, yeah, true, true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to episode five. Episode five, which at this point... You came on the episode and you looked a little bit tired, Andrew. Yeah, this was where the working on the business started to catch up with me. So I've spoken a fair amount of the difference between working in the business and working on the business. And at this point, I've been trying out a whole load of stuff. I've been working on growing the channel. I've been working on marketing it. And there was a point upon which it very much started to feel like I had two really intense jobs. I had my nine to five and then I had this and I was starting to feel overwhelmed. And one thing that I think is is really interesting, especially when you've got a side hobby, is it's quite easy to turn off when it's a hobby. But when you're growing a business, that can become quite easy to consume you it can slowly turn from what is quite frankly a passion project into an inferno that you just can't turn off. You wake up, you want to work on it. You're about to go to sleep. You know, the light's off in the bedroom, but your laptop light is still, you know, blasting on your face (laughs) because you just want to work on it before you sleep. And there were points when I was getting five, six hours sleep if I was lucky. Ouch. And it was getting too much to the point where my girlfriend actually pulled me to one side. It was like, look, I think you're running the risk of burnout here. And I couldn't feel it. I knew what she was saying was right, but I couldn't feel it because when I was low on energy, I had the energy to still work on this because I had to. This was something I felt passionate about. What I think we got a lot from this episode around this time as well was two things. First of all, the importance of balance. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean it needs to consume your life. I would highly recommend that if we're talking about, you know, making money through the projects that you're passionate about, 
still make sure you set up systems in place to maintain your relationships and maintain your focus because I am not a type A person. Any of my friends that know me know I am not a type A person. And yet I found myself working until 2 a.m., waking up at You were behaving like one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> All because I was getting consumed. I was I was working. So I, I had a project that I was passionate about. And then I had a bunch of people coming onto a podcast and actively giving me these amazing ideas on how to actually supercharge that business. It was great. I had the perfect formula on paper. That was everything anybody in my position could have possibly wanted. I just didn't have a system on how to put a tap on it, how to govern when I did what. And what I actually found was that the moment I set up those systems, I was number one, more efficient. I was happier. And I was way more productive because I told myself, you know what, between eight and 10, I'm going to work hard on Cali to the crowd. And the moment it hits 10 or one, I'm done. And that forces me to make those two hours as productive as possible. It wasn't now working on Cali to the crowd and then replying to a couple of texts for a couple of minutes and then working while also watching Netflix and then working, you know, the sort of work that isn't as efficient because it's kind of just, you can just keep it going. And that's the, that was the dangerous work that I was doing that wasn't allowing me to sleep. And, you know, yes. me and my girlfriend were working from home and yet it felt like I, <laughs> I wasn't seeing her. It was really dangerous. So that really showed me the importance of setting up systems, making sure you have that balance and basically not waiting for somebody to come along and tell you because both my girlfriend and you both said, you know what, like chill, relax for a little bit. Things are going well. Just chill. <laughs> I think I remember telling you to go out for a Nando's. Yeah. That was that was the direct thing that we wanted you to do after that episode. And I think if you're listening to this and you're feeling overwhelmed and you feel like you're working continuously, take a break. Like Just take a break. We all need a break every now and again. And the thing that I've had to learn over the years is if I'm feeling overwhelmed and I take a break, I will be more productive afterwards. So actually, I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. I will produce more and I will be able to keep going longer. So everyone wins from that. Everyone wins. Which then brings us on to episode six. And you started to see some traction on the income. You'd started to make some journey. What did you get out of episode six? What was the lesson? Yeah, so this was essentially my proof. This was my definitive proof that there is something here. It's nice to get comments telling you, you know, how much people love your videos. It, that I cannot stress is extremely fulfilling for anyone that is creating content. When somebody comes up to you and says, you produce X piece of content, here's how it affected my life in a positive way. You don't get much feelings that can trump that, but you can't pay the bills with those feelings, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> when you start to see, the work that you've put in making money, that hit me in a, in a very different way because I, even up until that point, even despite all the conversations we'd had, the idea of having, I think at that sort of time, we literally just crossed around getting the first $100 from YouTube. It, I don't know what it is. There's something about a hundred as a figure that is really, <laughs> it, it hits you. In the grand scheme of things, a hundred dollars isn't a lot of money, but it's significant enough. You can buy real things with a hundred dollars, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of pizza. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of Nando's. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, I think when that hit me, that really, really hit me as a proof of concept that this could be possible. And a lot of the imposter syndrome was shot after that. It very much felt tangible. It felt like a bigger jump going from zero to the idea of $100 than the idea of going from $100 to maybe one day $10,000. It, it sounds dumb. It sounds really stupid. But in terms of the how my mind worked on the idea of actually having money in my hand, because I remember the first time I actually got any money off of YouTube, I actually went to the bank and withdrew it and physically held it in my hand because <laughs> I wanted to believe that this this actual money came from YouTube. 
I don't carry cash. I'm a Londoner. So that was actually quite strange in and of itself. <laughs> and when I see that come through and you really understand that this is money that has come from, from work that you've been putting in for 18 months, a hundred pound return for 18 months. I should not have made me as happy as it did, but it did. So yeah, holding that £100 was really, really important for me to get into the idea of understanding that this could be possible, that this could be something that I could make significant money off of, especially if even just that, if that was a monthly income for me, £100 is 1,200 quid in a year. If I made that monthly, that 1,200 quid in a year in FI terms, <laughs> to have that as a nest egg to bring in 1,200 quid a year, you'd need a significant pot of money. I think you need what? Like 30 grand to bring that in in FI terms. That is no laughable sum of money. And when I think about that, that is mental. Every 100 pounds I earn from YouTube, every additional 100 pounds, that's 30 grand less that I need to have in an FI pot. And ideally, if this is a side hustle, you've got your income from your job that will pay all your bills and you can put this directly into investments and that's going to accelerate your journey towards where you want to get to, which is phenomenal. And the piece I'd love to add to this for everyone listening is this key moment on an entrepreneur's journey. And I don't care who you are and what you're doing. It's like that first chunk of money that you hold in your hands and you go, holy moly. I made this. I did this. I created it. And the other person who gave it to me is happy. Like, this is unbelievable. That moment, that's why I spend so much of my time driving you all to do the first sale, to make the call, send the email, sell the first thing. That moment where you hold the money in your hands is electric and it will change your character and your way of being for good. You just need to get to that first sale. Oh, it's unbelievably powerful. <laughs> unbelievably powerful. Which kind of brings us on to episode seven, which I entitled Happiness First. But what did you get out of this episode, Andrew? Uh, quite a few things, actually. I think a lot of it was kind of balancing a lot of the things that we've spoken about already, all the different things we're trying all of the different ideas that we had for the business going forward. But for me, that was when I started to really understand, okay, if I was going to turn this into a fully fledged business, what would I want that business to look like? So as the conversation was starting to mature a little bit, especially now that I had a little bit of experience with the things that I tried, which of those did I prefer? Do you know what was nice? Coming at that from an angle of, I don't need every single one of those things to make a million pounds tomorrow was really, really nice. I have a job that pays me well, that I enjoy doing. I am fortunate enough to be quite far along in my FI journey already. That provides me with a level of security that doesn't force me to be desperate when I'm reaching out for working relationships with companies. And now I'm in a point where my side hustle is also making money as well. That trifecta is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, priceless. That is a situation to be in that allows you to grow a business from a place of security. And I was starting to see that for the first time. And when I was in that position and I started to think about the sort of things that I really enjoyed, that was when I started to think about, you know what, the sort of things that I really liked doing from all the stuff I've tried. I liked working with brands. I liked the idea of having a, a mailing list. I liked the idea of maybe one day holding events, COVID notwithstanding. You know, I liked the idea of earning money. You know, I think you mentioned it, the idea of my videos are my little workers, my little employees. They are out in the field working for exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. I liked that. And it allowed me to think about the sort of things that I didn't really like, you know, the, the sort of aspects of business that maybe I wouldn't pursue. And the way that shaped out in my head was like, you know what? Things are good. I don't need this to be the next Microsoft. I don't need this to be the next Amazon. <laughs> I can grow this at my own pace. and enjoy it 
in the way that I want because I'm attacking it from a place of, quite frankly, security. And it's amazing how that changes the way you go out, the confidence it gives you. It's absolutely phenomenal. So if you're listening to this, if you can work on your financial independence, work on that security alongside building your business, it just gives you a different level of confidence and happiness, which will come across in your product. It'll come across in your service. It'll come across in the way you interact with people, which will improve every situation. So that was episode seven, Happiness First, which moves us on to episode eight, which we did with Matt and Rob, the life of a content creator. Yeah. So we spoke a lot about that around the actual ins and outs of creating content. So the process you go through in doing it, the way you go about doing it. Yeah, just what that looks like on a typical day to day. And I think this is the point where we've mentioned this quite a lot during the series that this is going to be very similar across all the content creation platforms, whether you're a podcaster, YouTuber, blogger, author, artists, whatever it is, you're going to find that there are a lot of similarities here. And here we're talking a lot around, you know, your energy. So when your energy is high, see if you can leverage that. See if you can leverage that. Make your best content when your energy is high because that energy won't stay the same throughout. I've learned that very recently. Again, I've relearned that. I recently caught COVID. And I tell you what, my energy, <laughs> my energy <laughs> fell through the damn floor. I was spending 16 hours in bed. It was really, really bad. But you know what? I had a bank of videos that were already good to go, already edited. You know, I didn't have to think about, oh my gosh, I've got to film while coughing my lungs out. I didn't have to think about that because I already had the store of video and the store of content and store of ideas that I already had when my energy was high. If you're reaching out to people and you're chatting to brands and you're trying to build relationships, you can't do that on low energy because they'll see straight through that. If I'm trying to reach out to Alan about getting onto his podcast and I'm coming up to him looking like, you know, death and sounding like it as well, why would he want that on his podcast? Like, why would you? I wouldn't, you know. So you've got to try and do the task that will require you to be enthusiastic when you've got high energy because you will thank yourself later. There's no using getting to that point when you've got that energy and then sitting down and watching Netflix because you can do that in a stupor, you know, use your high energy for your most valuable work. And I think if I could build on that, if you use your high energy for the most valuable work and it goes well, that will give you more energy. And the more energy you give, the better it goes. It's like this virtuous circle of energy that comes back to you. So if you can use that energy, if you... If you randomly feel up for it in the middle of the day, use that energy and go for it. And the final thing I would say is if you don't feel like you've got energy for your business at the moment, you don't get motivated to do something. You get motivated by doing something. So just turn it into a habit to do one thing each day. And it is amazing how that will spiral and compound over time. So that's eight, the life of the content creator. Number nine was all about getting sponsorship, sponsors, 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 which you've come on a bit of a journey with that one. Yeah, yeah. So again, a lot of imposter syndrome around this. There was a lot of resistance to the idea of reaching out to people. Seven months ago, Andrew just needs a slap around the face. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when I started, I basically wrote down a list of all the brands that I would just, that would just be a dream to work with. And there was about 15, maybe 16, 17 odd brands on that list. I reached out to all of them. Three of them replied. One of them was a little bit quite difficult to work with. And the initial conversation we had, I think I shot down their idea. You and I then spoke around getting them on the phone, which I did. But that kind of just proved a little bit more that they would be quite difficult to work with. They were quite forceful. They're back and forth. That call, I still think, was extremely valuable because it allowed me, number one, to get a little bit of experience talking to brands, understanding what their problems are. Because what you'll tend to find is that if one brand in a particular industry has an issue, you'll probably find that that problem is persistent. Maybe if the brands tackle it differently, but you'll probably, you'll learn something and something valuable 
but there is something to say about working with people who are particularly difficult, particularly forceful. I am in a position where I don't need that in my life. So I kept that door open, didn't burn that bridge, but I certainly put my foot down as to how I wanted to work with them going forward. The other two were far more positive. The other, well, the other two that replied to me, there were still about 18 others that didn't. <laughs> those have turned into great relationships, but I, I kind of don't want to dwell too much on those relationships just yet because I still think that there's value in reaching out and talking to people regardless of what the end product is. If you're going to be working on something especially when you're working on something where the additional effort to work with a brand doesn't drastically increase your workload. So as an example, by me talking about a protein brand or a weight vest or a set of wrist supports or whatever, that doesn't drastically increase my workload to create videos. If anything, those products already exist in my videos. It is therefore in my best interest to try and build a relationship with these brands because, well, number one, they're already in my videos. They're getting free advertising anyway. You know, my videos are adding value. So why not see if it can be mutually beneficial for you as well? There is a lot of experience out there. These are brands that do this on a daily basis. These are brands who have marketing goals. These are people working for these companies that have individual goals as well talking to them, you will get value. Regardless of how that conversation goes, you will get value from doing it. Don't feel fear around doing it as I did. I had a lot of hesitation around being pushy. I sent one email, they didn't reply. I didn't think of it in a way that, oh, well, they probably get 100 emails a day and don't reply to them all or don't read them all. I didn't think of that. I kind of thought, oh, well, they must have seen my email. They must not have liked it. I'm going to carry on with the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, talking to these people is extremely valuable. So just do it. Get on the phone, speak to them, and you'll find yourself probably learning loads from it, like in any way, shape or form that they get back to you. Yeah, if you can get on the phone, ask questions, learn about them. It's unbelievable the value you can glean out of a few of those conversations, which enables you to talk to more people in a better way. And yeah make the calls, make the calls. That's it. Yeah. I I had a lot of fear around getting on the phone to some of these people that I was speaking to. And what I tended to find as well is that there was a lot of apprehension actually on their side to get on the phone too. Mm. Yeah. It's something I noticed quite a lot. So one thing I did when I was reaching out to them, especially if the initial conversation was over email, was giving them exactly, specifically what we chat about on the phone in advance. That allowed them to be more confident around what we were going to speak about. It, it allowed them to speak to me on the phone from a place of preparation. This was when, whenever my conversation with, with them initially started on email. So usually that meant I couldn't find a number, a specific number, but I still wanted to have that voice or screen-to-screen conversation. And... Yeah, like I said, I found that there was a lot more positive energy around a phone call once I prepped them in advance. I'm not sure if that's been something you've seen yourself, Alan. Um, If you can't get someone on the phone, trying to see if you can, well, what techniques you use to get them on the phone if they're reluctant to do that. I'm a big fan of an agenda. Like if someone says to me, here's what I want to talk to you about and here's all the points, I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. For me... The secret to getting people on the phone is to set the date and time and to be as closey as possible at that point. Like we've discovered we've got value. We discovered we want to speak to each other. Let's set a date and time. Can you do this day or this day? Or use a tool like Calendly where they can book into your diary or whatever it is, but you just need the date and time. You've just got to get someone to commit for that and just keep asking for it. You just have to get commitment to the date and time. If you've got their phone number, don't give them an option. Just ring them. If you have to go via email first, then it is all about the date and time. So to the people listening to this, if there's someone you want to get on the phone, don't ever leave an email with, uh, let's chat soon, or I hope we connect. Don't do that. Just do, can you speak Friday the 13th at this time? Can you speak Tuesday the 12th at this time? Or can you speak this day at this time? Which one works best? Done. Then send them a calendar invite. 
like that's how corporate world works is calendar invites, dates, times, and links to a Zoom call, links or whatever. Get them in the diary. That's the only way you get to speak to me as well. I'm rubbish at anything else. So that's episode nine. Episode 10 is advanced YouTube, which we're actually going to save for the next episode when we've got Matt and Rob back with us. So we're going to skip over that one. Tune in next episode if you want to hear that one. Episode 11, we had Andrew McDonald from Locally Links on all about affiliate income. Uh, You gave us an update last episode that it had worked and you'd gone from never making any money with affiliates to making a bit. What's happened since and what was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, that was really fun. First of all, because there were two Andrews, well, three Andrews technically on the podcast. You had Andrew McDonald, you had me, Andrew Alinda, and then you had Andrew the editor. So whenever we made a mistake, we had to reference <laughs> Andrew the editor to to edit that part of the podcast out. So that was that was a very, very fun, very interesting episode. On affiliate links, I had just been convinced that they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> Up until that point, I was so adamant that affiliate links don't work because here, here's the point around trying things, right? When you try things, definitely go out, try things, but speak to somebody who's done it before. I cannot stress that enough. Speak to people who have been successful about the thing you're trying. Don't just count on your version of an attempt that hasn't worked and then you discount it forever because that was my approach to affiliate links. I'd put a couple of Amazon links on my YouTube channel. They hadn't worked. In fact, they'd worked so badly that Amazon had then closed my Amazon affiliate partner program (laughs) because they hadn't brought in enough money to keep the account open. So we got chatting to Andrew and Andrew's had a successful history of affiliate marketing through his YouTube channel. Uh, Remind me of his channel name, Alan? Andrew's channel is Tech Team GB. Tech Team GB, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's made a whole load of money off of recommending digital products to the point where he now has a whole platform called Locally Links, which is really great for actually sourcing all of the different global domains of websites, mainly Amazon, but the global domains of websites into one succinct link. If you're into affiliate links, then this is gold dust and he does it extremely cost effectively so he actually didn't push me much towards his platform locally links but I decided to try it and I tried it he reached out to me made sure that I was getting everything I could out of the product it was actually extremely extremely useful in terms of the information he was giving me it was quality service I can't stress that enough he hasn't paid me to say any of this by the way (laughs) (laughs) and I have been convinced affiliate links will definitely work. I have had hundreds of clicks on my affiliate links from people that must have been looking for this stuff because I haven't advertised it anywhere in my videos. I haven't told people about it. I haven't driven people to these links. And yet people are going on these links and buying the products that are in there. And I'm getting a share of the commission all because I'm following some very basic, quite frankly, extremely simple principles that he outlined in that episode around how to get the most out of your affiliate links. So, you know, this isn't life-changing sums of money. I think last time I looked, it was about 15-odd pounds that have come through from the various different links. But that's 15 quid off of essentially me copying and pasting a couple of links into YouTube videos for products that will add value to the people watching these videos. Like, it's it's easy money. Why Why not do it? And it starts at 15. And as you build your channel, it grows and it grows and it grows. And I think there's probably a whole new level of iteration you can get to when you re-listen to that episode, when it comes out in about six weeks time in real life, I bet you'll get a whole bunch of new ideas, Andrew, to be able to input and get to the next level with affiliate links. And I think for everyone listening to this, the question is, What have you tried once that didn't work and you wrote it off forever? Like trying something once is never the answer. You've got to try something 10 times with all your energy, all your learning, learn from other people. Like Andrew said, find someone who's done it before and implement, implement, implement. Like don't write something off if it doesn't work the first time. 
Like it's surprising how many people have come to me and said, well, I did this once. Like I put one Facebook post out and I didn't get any customers. Therefore, I will never use that channel again. There's so many examples of this. You've got to try it more than once. You really have. So implement, implement, implement. And please do, if you're a content creator, check out Andrew McDonald's Locally Links. It's a fantastic service. Which brings us on neatly to episode 12, where we had a surprise guest who gate-crashed the episode. You were not expecting Mr. Money Mustache to turn up on the show. What did you get out of talking to Mr. Money Mustache, the man himself? Yeah, so after picking my jaw up off the floor, it was an absolute... I, I, I was. I'm, I think I'm still Star Trek now. I was on a podcast <laughs> with Mister Money Mustache. That was my mind was blown. It was so nice just to see how down to earth he is. He really is just like how he comes across in his blog. Just the mm-hmm. most chilled out guy, you know, that you could ever speak to. But most of the conversations that we had on that podcast was around FI and how shaping up a business, whatever business that may be works alongside fi we didn't speak too much around the intricacies of it because i think a lot of the people listening and i guess the three of us in the conversation understand the mechanics of financial independence quite a lot it's not too hard to wrap your head around it but one thing we did speak a lot about was on almost like societal acceptance around fi so we spoke a fair amount around how friends and family certainly understand fi if they're not engrossed in that culture already that can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge we spoke uh, a little bit around how to navigate that when say for example our friends might be resistant to those sort of ideas as well which is an interesting thing that i've certainly seen i've seen a lot more the closer and closer i get to fi actually Um, and a lot of his feedback was like you know what some people aren't going to be ready to hear that message and you've got to be okay with that. It's something that isn't it isn't always nice because I think a lot of people in the FI world become very evangelical about that idea. You hear that there's this way that you can essentially buy years of your life back with a very simple concept, spend less than you earn and invest the rest. And you want that life for your friends as well but sometimes they're just not ready to hear that and you have to be okay with that because it's such a like personal finance the personal comes first and some people just need to deal with their own crap before they can even get on board with some of these ideas and speaking to Pete actually showed that you know what in this community number one you have a whole load of people with very similar ideas to yourself I certainly know that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak to you, Alan, or Pete, or a whole bunch of other FI people that I've spoken to, if I hadn't joined the Facebook group or listened to a certain podcast or reached out to all these people. These are all now friends that align very well with not just my financial ideals, but with a whole load of other life ideals as well. You tend to find that when you align with people from a monetary perspective, there's probably going to be a whole load of other things that you relate to as well. And that conversation was really enlightening. It certainly made me stress less about having to tell my family that maybe one day that, okay, this is my job or this is what I do for a living or I can live this way because I made X, Y, and Z decision. And I think this is something I've seen a lot, especially with people from immigrant families in the FI community there's a lot of stigma around, especially second generation immigrants whose parents came to, you know, the UK or the US and they had to work very hard to bring up their children in this country for their children to then go, yeah, so we're packing up shop. We're FI now. Don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's certainly a trend that I've seen a lot in most FI communities and you know, chatting to yourself and Mr. Money Mustache was really, really insightful around how we navigate all of those different things. And if you're listening to this going, what is financial independence? Let me give you two places to start. 
The first is search for Mr. Money Mustache and his famous article, The Shockingly Simple Math of Early Retirement. That's a great place to start. Or go to episode 25, season one with JL Collins on this podcast, where he talks about investing for entrepreneurs which will hopefully lead you to his book and his other content because he is an incredible source for how to invest. So that's the Financial Independence episode with a special guest. Episode 13, Andrew, I entitled It's Not Linear. And I'm actually going to ask you, because I haven't found this out yet, did you do your homework? Do you remember what your homework was from that episode? My homework for that? You know what? That was two episodes ago, so you'll have to remind me. I'm sure I have done it. I've literally written down, Andrew will send a personal email to everyone on his mailing list to find out how they're getting on, how are their goals going, and how did they find the channel? Oh, Alan. Alan. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. (laughs) But (laughs) here's the excuse. Oh, dear. Here's the excuse. Uh Uh-oh. Is this the first time in 15 episodes I haven't done my homework? I think it's the second. It's the second? Not that I keep score on all of these things. What was the first? It was actually in the episode uh, five, type A balance, push, push, push. Uh, The reason that all started was because you weren't able to do all the homework from the one before. Oh, no. And I gave you permission to relax. But I'm not sure I will. Should I be nice now? (laughs) Not with this one, because it is on my to-do list. But, uh, well, my excuse for that one is I caught COVID. That is literally uh. my excuse for that one. That's the the silver bullet. But I do remember committing to that. So, yeah, that is something that I will do. And I, I have it in my to-do list. It's just, I'll be honest, I didn't expect it to come up in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to expect I'm going to check in on the homework. If any of you listening to this ever come on a future coaching series, just expect Alan will ask what happened with this. Uh, It's quite (laughs) annoying, but it's also useful for making progress. It's highly beneficial. The idea of being accountable to somebody else, because God knows I'm not accountable to myself, is one of the side lessons I've learned from this coaching series. So we've got the SEO episode, which we haven't actually recorded yet. So I'm going to skip over that one. The next episode is going to be the huge celebration at the end of this coaching series. We've got Rob and Matt back. We're going to have a lot of fun. We've got some special things planned for that end episode. Andrew, if you could give us, like, what's the one thing you've got out of this whole thing that you would love the audience to take away? What's the message from this whole experience that you would go, this is the thing I want people to take away? Oh, that is so... Difficult. Oh, okay. I've got one. And do you know what's funny? It's nothing new to your podcast, right? <laughs> what I'm about to say is nothing new. Nothing that your podcast hasn't already highlighted. It's not unique to YouTube. It's not unique to content creation. You know what? Screw it. It's not unique to entrepreneurship. This is something you can apply everywhere. And it really is. I cannot stress this enough. Staying in your comfort zone will keep you exactly where you are. It will stagnate you. The idea that you can keep doing what you've always done and expect different results is just silly. A lot of the ideas that you, that Rob, that Matt gave me are things that actively pushed me outside of my comfort zone. When I started this YouTube channel, long before I spoke to you, long before I spoke to Matt, long before I spoke to Rob, speaking down the barrel of a camera was not in my comfort zone. Now I do it every week. The idea of editing a video was not in my comfort zone, and now I do it every week. It's second nature. The idea of doing a podcast without saying five ums and ahs and hesitating, that wasn't in my comfort zone. But speaking to you, Alan, has helped me get rid of that. These are all things that you just do. And when you look back on it and you think, you know what, how the hell did I start doing that? Or how did I become good at doing X, Y, and Z? It's because it started from you doing something that wasn't inherently something that you would naturally do. That's how we grow. That's how we progress. That's how we build cool businesses that make us damn money. And it's through doing that that you actually end up doing some of these fantastic things. The results of all of this, it doesn't happen overnight. It's all triggered by you 
taking a bit of a leap of faith. And it doesn't have to be a huge step out of your comfort zone. I'm not telling you to go and do something extremely crazy that terrifies you. I'm talking about doing something small, trying it once, failing at it, sucking at it, and not, you know, not having that be the reason you pull the plug on the whole thing. Trying small incremental things that allow you to take little steps out of your comfort zone. And you know what? One technique I found is I do one thing that takes me out of my comfort zone, followed by like three things that I know I'm really good at, you know, that <laughs> that allows me to reinforce that, you know what, I'm not crap at that one thing I'm trying for the first time, because you know, what? here's a whole bunch of stuff I'm really good at. I remember I used to edit videos after coming back from football, because I'm quality at football, and then I edit my videos, I'd suck. it'll take me hours to edit videos, but I do it from a place of... I've just scored three goals today. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, and I can't stress that enough. Just do things that take you out of your comfort zone. What a fantastic closing message. I will add one item to send you all off with, which is please be nice to current you. Several times in this episode, Andrew has said, if only I could go back to Andrew seven months ago, slap him around the chops and tell him to get on with it. But you will be seeing the same thing a year from now. You'll be listening to this podcast going, God, if only I could get to Andrew of now and slap him around the chops. And we all do it. I'm 43 in seven days time. 43-year-old Alan wishes he could go back to 30-year-old Alan and tell him, just do this, just do that. Come on, slap him around the chops, get on with it. Like You're doing the best you can with the thoughts and the resources you have. Just keep learning, stay humble, keep going. And it is unbelievable where you will get to. That learning mindset where you listen to this podcast, you apply what you learn, you reflect on what happens, and then you do another iteration, that will get you where you want to get to. So be kind to current you. They deserve a bit of tenderness and a bit of love not just a slap around the face for not having done it yet. Be kind to you, keep going, keep learning, and I know you'll get there. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a Rebel Entrepreneur.